Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm very stressed out. Oh, but I'm why also, is that? Well, I'm, uh, Are you worried about our Oscar draft? <laughs> no, that, that'll be fun. By the time you're hearing this, I'll probably... I'll be posting this tonight before I leave for Berlin for like 10 mm-hmm. days, which I'm very excited about, but also like it's sort of sinking in today, Thursday, the day before, like, yeah. or what, today's the 11th, I leave on the 15th. So four days before I'm leaving, uh, it's sort of sinking in how much shit I have to take care of before I leave. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very, very stressed out. I'm excited about my trip, but also I just, as we were uh, talking earlier, um, my wife emailed me our the the confirmation for our uh, um, uh, concentration camp tour. So oh. uh, I'm, in, well, I'm in a weird mood right yeah, now. I guess so. What I'm saying, I'm looking forward to my trip, but I'm also very stressed out, and also uh, I know my trip's going to be very heavy, at least Indeed. a little bit. Yeah. Now I've asked this before. Let's say and you've now announced that you're going to be in Berlin. Uh-huh. Imagine, if you will, getting an email from a listener who lives in Berlin and says, I would love to, to say hello and get uh-huh. coffee or something. Would you do it? Uh, I would have to um, see how uh, I, this would be. A, I'm not there on my own. Right. I'm there with another person. Right. So, uh, you know, this would be a joint decision between me and my wife as to right. what our plan is and um, where this person wants to meet. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you, you, I know you do that. Uh, yeah, and Jen, and Jen does it as yeah. well. She comes with us. So, I, yeah. um, I don't know. I, 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 I love our listeners. I'm just weird, I think. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems... Like it could potentially be very nerve wracking. It's, it is a little bit and it's always something that when I do do that, it's within about five minutes, like, Oh, this is a mistake. Not because it's, and then, and then <laughs> I hope it, this, the it, listeners are listening, but then it, <laughs> then like two minutes later, it's fine. But it's just this thing of like, Oh boy, they know me and I don't know them. Yeah. That's weird. That's right? it is weird. Yeah. Um, but then, it, and then I solve that by just, incessantly asking them questions. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, well, bon voyage, bon voyage, David, right? Yeah, exactly. That's exciting. Uh-huh. I've never been there. Neither have I. That's kind of why, uh, not only I both been to a number of places in Europe. We want to go to mm-hmm. Europe. We want to go to a country we've never been to before. Yeah. So we're going to Berlin and we're going to Prague while we're there. Here's what could be fun is that have you, cause you introduced me to the amazing race. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Have you ever uh, been watching an episode of The Amazing Race and they go somewhere that you have been? Oh, I'm sure that's happened. That uh, happened to us when they went to uh, uh, Lucerne, uh, Switzerland. And oh, they, I've been and to they, Lucerne. Yeah, and they ran across this that bridge, bridge. Yeah, and it's like, hey, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I so, forgot you and I have both been to Lucerne. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. And it was yeah. on the same day. You'd think we would have planned <laughs> that out better. Weren't communicating. <laughs> I'm just so bad with email. Um, okay. So uh, this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is a film that I've not seen, but I've heard wonderful things about called Pontypool. I've never seen it. Either. You know, you know what it is, though, right? Uh, it's like a it's a, a zombie movie or a horror movie. It's 
man, I was reading about it and I knew some of this. I didn't know all of it. Okay. It's a horror movie about a shock jock DJ played by Stephen McCaddy. Um, reporting on the he's reporting on the outbreak of an infectious disease that is spread by the use of certain words oh and so like so there i I think there's a zombie element to it um i think that those that are infected i don't think they become full-on zombies but they it's you know sort of like um 28 days later 28 days later um but yeah and so and and I guess it's kind of a zombie movie in so far as uh, the, the main character and a couple other people are sort of trapped in this radio station because if they go outside, you know, terrible things will happen. So uh, it's kind of a chamber piece as well. But, uh, but yeah, I've heard, I remember hearing wonderful things about it and, uh, have always been meaning to watch it. And now I have my chance through movie and listeners, you have that chance as well. Yeah. Uh, and there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Um, now, can I stop you here? Because I know we have a couple more ads yes. today. You had something you wanted to talk about at the top that we, because I got into my, uh, okay. My stress bullshit. Maybe we should do that now to break up because we have sure. more ads than usual. Today. Sure. Uh, okay. So, um, so uh, this, I guess this could be a whole episode if we let it be, but I think it would require a lot of preparation. Um, so I wrote uh, a uh, an article last week uh, about uh, Kyle Smith, an article uh-huh. that he wrote that bothered me, um, although he did recently write a fairly glowing review of First Man, um, uh, which I read and I thought it was interesting. I'd love to get your take on it. But anyway, um, <clears throat> and... This okay. What? Sorry, the first man thing. Are you bring? Uh, are you surprised because of the stupid flag controversy? That's not a controversy. Oh uh, no. Okay. I, I had forgotten about that. He yeah. actually brings it up and, and dismisses it very quickly. Yeah, the um, flag is yeah. in the flag is in the movie. I, I guess someone had a problem with the fact that you don't literally see them plant the flag. Ugh, I guess thumbs down, but there's a very, there are two very clear shots of the, what's it called? The limb or whatever the thing. That yeah, they, yeah. And the flag next to it. Like they're, it's very clear. It's not, yeah. you don't have to go looking for the flag on the moon in this movie. And it's, yeah, that's the, incidentally, that's the kind of, I know, I know I don't consider myself particularly patriotic, uh, but to the degree that I am, it's not that. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, no. So what I was, I'm not exactly sure how to say this, but it's as I was, as I was writing that article, um, it got me thinking about what movies are and what they can be and the purpose of them. Hmm. Um, because you know, I I find myself often, you were going to say he responded to you. Oh no, no, no. Oh, he doesn't even know I exist, David. That's not true. That's probably not true. Uh, no, that's probably true. It's people who do, what he does, which is also what we do. Yeah. We have very, uh, uh we're very insecure people. That's true. <laughs> He's yes. uh, probably sought out the mentions of him. And I'm sure someone, some asshole has probably sent it to him. Right. Probably. Yes. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I certainly would not have done, I, I did not tweet it at him or anything right, like right. that. Yeah. There's only ever been one instance where I have 
actively gone after someone and it was uh matt walsh not the actor but the commentator who on a facebook post was talking about manchester by the sea in a way and i've referenced it a couple of times it's 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 an idiotic response Uh, it's an idiotic reaction to that movie and i believe i just it was on a facebook post so i think i just said your view of this film is narrow and your definition of art is also narrow. Um, that, that, that Matt Walsh yeah. is, which is his Twitter handle, yes. obviously, but that particular Matt Walsh is one of those guys who, um, I just can only assume is an idiot because only comes into onto my radar when he right. says something really stupid. Yeah. Like and when if, there was the whole Mike Pence not wanting to be alone with women thing. And he was like, name one reason why you would be alone with a woman who is not a relation or a romantic interest. <laughs> one, like really one reason. It's like, I think maybe that's not the best rhetorical tool uh, <laughs> to be saying here. Um, and thankfully uh, in that, I, because I because I linked to it uh, in the article that I wrote, um, I was looking at other comments, and I was not the only person to like call him out. Like, okay. plenty of other people said, like, Matt, I agree with you, but you really should stop talking about movies, <laughs> uh, which is kind of great. So anyway, but it got me thinking about like what a movie is meant to be. Some people say it's just pure escapism. Some people say that uh, movies are just a business and that sort of thing. I'm not. No, no, I'm not getting angry. Getting although I'm up. about to say this. Um, so, and, and I think also because I've been teaching kids, specifically middle schoolers, and then, and this actually works with the college students as well, I, it forces you to like really boil things down so that you know f- what your center is when talking about okay. film. And so I'm going to, I'm going to bring this in with, with other, other things. Um, so I was, uh, I was at church the other day and the sermon, it's a three part series about listening. And, uh, there was, uh, I was about to say an episode <laughs> kind of hypocritical, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. So long winded. Oh no. The it's, importance of listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. It's, he's just standing there. David. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make for the most interesting podcast, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, and so um, the first week was listening to God, then the second week is listening to yourself. And so, uh, and he allowed, and it's it's interesting because that was the sermon that I was l- listening to uh, shortly well, after done. watching, uh, I know, hey, I, uh, Lesson yeah, hey Padre, uh, you, I don't, you don't need to talk, you don't need to tell me. <laughs> Stop drilling, you hit oil. <laughs> Uh, look, I know we don't do saints here, but, uh, <laughs> I think an argument could be made. Um, but no, I, having watched, won't you be in my neighbor, which, uh-huh. you know, the idea of silence and listening to oneself is a big part of it. So it's like, all right. So as I, so there was a moment in the, in the sermon where he allowed several minutes of silence, uh, to just be thinking. And he said, you might, this might not be very comfortable for you. It won't be for me. Uh, and so just, so I was like, all right, I'll just uh, sit and uh, think. And yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I was praying a little bit too. So sue me. Uh, <laughs> but the thing that, that I came to and something that, um, and, and my, it brought my article to mind, which is, and this is, I'm sorry, this might seem like a therapy session, but we'll, we'll, we'll get where we're going in a moment. Um, I realized that the two things that came to mind was that I am very angry and I am very lonely. 
Now that may sound strange cause I'm married. Um, but the thing is, and so it's just like, okay, well, why am I angry and why am I lonely? Um, and it's like, okay, well I've, I'm angry because I am lonely. That's the deeper one because anger is reactive. And I, and I was able to boil it down to a couple things. One is the fact that Jen and I are unable to have kids and, mm seems like, uh, all of, all our other friends are having kids like constantly. Um, some of them are on their third kid. Um, not me. I know. I know. Why do you think we keep this? I keep this (laughs) podcast going. Um, but so it's that. And then, you know, after all these years, uh, the dad thing still is, is frustrating. Like aside from yourself, and Frank feel my wrath McGrath, uh, mm-hmm. like none of my friends have like lost a parent or anything oh, like that. Not that I would wish that they would, but it can be very isolating after all these years when it's just like, I, I don't have this in my life and it is a very sad thing. Um, and so, uh, now when I say lonely, uh, when it comes to like the infertility thing, uh, I group me and Jen together. Uh, I don't, I don't feel lonely from her in that. So anyway, what does all this have to do with movies? The point is, is this, that like when I am feeling these things about, they're not general, uh, feelings. They are connected to very specific elements of my life. And when I see a movie like the aforementioned Manchester by the sea, which has to deal with a grief that I have not experienced, which is the loss of children. Um, and then basically just the loss of an entire life because marriage falls apart and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, I look at that and I look at something like, um, a monster calls, which is my favorite movie of that year. Mm-hmm. Movies that deal with grief, uh, and then having not seen Private Life, um, the Tamara Jenkins film, uh, that has to do with infertility, uh, having not seen it, but I feel like I should watch it, um, and that I would probably enjoy it and relate to it. I realized that, like, you know, if you're somebody that movies are escapism, good for you, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to judge that. We all need escapism at some point. Um, and maybe regularly, uh, you know, Sullivan's travels taught us that. Uh, mm-hmm. but the thing is that it, the reason that I got so frustrated and so angry at like the Kyle Smith article is because it's such a, I'll use the word again. It's such a narrow idea of what film can be when you say that, Oh, well n- that you can't imagine anybody wanting to watch this frustrating, depressing, ultimately very personal because apparently Tamara Jenkins dealt with this as well. This Mm. very personal, uh, issue. If you can't imagine that, then you're not fucking trying hard enough. All right. There is something particularly, uh, there's a reason. Okay. There's a reason that this move, that the, the recent movement is called me too, because there is tremendous power when, if you're going through something and I say, Hey, me too. Right. Some would say that that's me saying like, well, what about me? It's not, no. it's comfort. It's saying you're not alone. Right. The thing that you've been through, I've been through it too. Let's yeah. talk. You are not actually alone. And so I feel alone in certain experiences, undoubted. And I feel like everybody probably does. Everybody ha- has been dealt some kind of hand and they probably, and they look around and they see that no one else really has that hand. And it can be very isolating and very lonely. And film, going back to that Roger Ebert quote about empathy, 
film is someone from an entirely other country, someone that has been dead for 30 years, can make a movie that is as vital and relevant to your life right now. And in that moment, in that moment, you don't feel alone. And that's what I'm not going to say that's what film is. It's what it can be. And if that's what you want it to be, then it can be this astonishing connection to other people. And it doesn't matter what their politics are. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter if they're currently dead. They like it's, it's, it's a connection with something deep and universal while also, as we go back, as we say over and over again, while also shockingly specific. And so it's just something that like, as I was thinking about my own issues and the mo- and why I watch the movies that I watch. Yes. I enjoy escapism as much as the next guy, but the movies that really mean something to me are the movies where I feel like the director is trying to reach out, uh, either from something specifically personal or maybe something, maybe a feeling that is, that is more personal. They're reaching out, uh, as a way of asking if anybody else is out there and assuring other people I'm here too, and you're not alone. And so that was on my mind and I wasn't exactly sure how to put it, but there we go. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. So, um, now I recognize that it's, it can be hard to, it'll be, you know, what, Hey, what do the sponsors think of this? You know, um, but you remind me, this is a little bit of a difference, but about what movies can do. I talked about, um, that I'm about to go to, to, uh, to Germany, um, that I've, you know, been to Switzerland. Obviously we Mm -hmm. talked about, you've been, uh, across, the the Asian continent and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I went to Canada for the first time this year mm-hmm. um, and uh, travel is very important to me and as I um, get older and uh, don't have to put up with kids I plan on traveling <laughs> um, a little bit more uh, and travel is very important because it's it's real personal experience mm-hmm. but the difference between travel and movies and I, they're both equally important to me in some ways is that when you're traveling, you are limited to your own point of view. Yeah. Whereas the movies, yes, it's a simulated experience, right. but you're seeing the world and potentially seeing other places, potentially seeing other times through another person's eyes. And that can be just as horizon expanding, uh, as, as traveling to the ends of the earth. I remember uh, an old episode of Siskel and Eber back when there were like there were like five of these interactive movies and then they just went away. Do you remember those? Uh, like in the in the mid nineties, I believe, maybe even late nineties. I remember hearing about them. There's there's more coming. Probably, yeah. yeah. But it was uh I did hear that Netflix was gonna start a choose your own adventure. Well, I think the thing Bla- the next season of Black Mirror is doing a choose your own adventure really? episode. I think is what okay, I read, and that's going to be on Netflix. Well, that at least makes sense. Uh-huh. Uh, that could work, but um, but yeah, it was a thing where and and I watched clips as they were reviewing this movie, and it's just awful, just uh-huh. awful. But the point that one of the points they they make is that like they 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 weren't looking to bash video games or anything. Partially, I mean, video games weren't as they were interactive, but the viewer didn't actually play that big of a role in determining what happens, okay. at least not at the time. Um, but they just said, like, I don't go to the movies 
to make choices. Like it's, I go to see somebody else's choices. I go to see somebody else's perspective on the world. And it's like what you're saying. It's somebody else. If it's another country or something like that, it's them presenting it to you Mm -hmm. often in the form of a story, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's just in the form of a larger experience or a tone or something like that. And yeah, it's, there's, there's certainly a, a universality to, to film and a specificity. That's one of the th- wonderful things about it. And so, uh, now imagine, you know, so look, everything I just said, I told my students today, um, that's a, that's a joke. I didn't say that. Um, but yeah, uh, kind of a, kind of a larger thing, but it's, it's what's on, what's been on my mind. Um, okay. I tell you what else has been on my mind, Dave. Yeah. What, what's that? <laughs> Uh, it's broker two. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'll tell you, uh, literally right now, it's a thrilling dark comedy about a small town serial killer just trying to make it in the big apple. After starting a relationship with non-murderer Sarah, he must fend off a rival organization of serial killers and question his way of life. Will he keep up his murderous ways or is he just another small fish in a big pond? Okay, so here's the deal. Broker two is currently in production, but it needs your help to become a reality. Uh, I don't, oh shoot. I don't remember the name of the, they're not going through Kickstarter. They're not going through Indiegogo. They are going through, uh, another, GoFundMe? not a GoFundMe. Uh, it's, it's a new one and I've seen it. I've seen it a few different places, but, uh, I don't have it written here, but here's the situation. If they get 80% funded, then they keep all of the money that has been raised. They don't have to get to a hundred. So, uh, they still are, I think they're about, I think they're 20% off. And so by the time you're hearing this, you've got a few more days. Uh, the project looks really good. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, and it looks, uh, violent, but in a really good way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so now is really the time to, to help them out, get them to the, the 80% and you yourself as a backer, you would qualify for various uh, incentives including a copy of the film uh, costumes worn on screen ice cream with the director or a credit of your choice so if you're interested just go to battleshippretension.com and click on the broker ad on the left hand side of the page we do have one more sorry well i guess two more yeah. i'm gonna say one more uh sponsor and this Look, is a new our one listeners are happy to hear about these sponsors because these are people who chose Battleship Retention to sponsor right. because they know that our listeners are savvy, right. that they have good taste, that they're intelligent. They're very suggestible. <laughs> and that too. Um, so, yeah, this is, you're going to want to hear this. <laughs> <what I'm saying. laughs> Look. All right. Uh, I like that tone. All right. So this week's episode is also brought to you by the Dice Enthusiasts podcast. Um, These so, are Andrew Dice Clay fans? I would well hang on let me read the rest here. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely what it is about. Um sorry. Uh I'm I I read wrong. I do apologize. It's the Dice Enthusiasts presents. It is an offshoot of an established podcast called Dice Enthusiasts. Um 
it was supposed to, this is their description, which I kind of love and one that I can certainly relate to. Uh, it was supposed to be about board games, but it's only sporadically about them. Uh, the new series is based on a board game that four roommates played for the entirety of 2017. Uh, but in that year they were faced with problems like drug dealers moving in with them, mental breakdowns, infidelity, and a suicide attempt. Uh, this, this storytelling in the series is heavily inspired by the works of Kurt Vonnegut and David Foster Wallace. Um, so go to diceenthusiast.com or subscribe to Dice Enthusiast enthusiasts on your favorite podcast app to listen to the first episode of dice enthusiast presents uh debuting october 15th and it will be every monday after that for the next 10 weeks so it sounds as though like it's this ongoing drama in the midst of playing this game uh and i actually do know uh, one of the people involved with it and it sounds like sounds awesome pretty pretty heavy stuff going on oh, and wow. some really interesting stuff. So yeah, I, I was very excited that they uh, sponsored us and that we, that I got to talk about it. So yeah, you can check that out. Diceenthusiasts.com. Yeah. You know what you can use to listen to dice enthusiast presents. What's that is uh, tweaked audio.com earbuds. You see tweaked audio.com is where you go for, professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great tyler and i use them each and every day of our lives today i wasn't yet listening to dice enthusiasts presents because i just heard about it along with the listeners um what i, what I have been listening to all right i've been listening to the few tracks that have uh, been um released um from tom york's score for the suspiria remake okay um and Tom York of Radiohead, of Radiohead. correct? Yes. yes. Uh, of which I am, I think, I like to think I'm famously skeptical of Radiohead. Most people probably don't care what I think of Radiohead. Right. But uh, I think people just generally need to calm down about Radiohead. They're fine. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I don't know. I've um, Full disclosure, I've never seen Suspiria, any version. Okay. Um, but I'm certainly familiar with Goblin's score mm. for the original Suspiria because it's so great. It is great. Um, and it just seems like a weird, it's not a one-to-one to go from Goblin to complaint rock maestro <laughs> Tom York. Um, that's a clueless reference, by the okay. way. Um, uh, the song, and the, but you know what? The songs are, songs is maybe not the right word, the tracks, um, the pieces that I've heard they're good, mm-hmm. but um, I am definitely going into this Luca Guadagnino movie uh, with, uh, I don't know, a grain of salt, I guess, is the... You're going to need uh, more than that for two and a half hours of right. movie. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hey, that's this time of year. All movies yeah. are two and a half hours now. Um, I've, I've been listening to, because I have a commute now... Um, but I listen to it when I'm not commuting as well. So I have been using my tweaked audio earbuds. I've been listening to a, an audio book, uh, by Eric Larson called thunderstruck, um, read by Bob Balaban. Oh, cool. And it is delightful. Nice. The, the narration, the book is, uh, itself is interesting and, uh, quite harrowing at times, oh. but it's made more delightful by Bob Balaban. It's not about the ACDC song. Uh, I haven't gotten to the end of it. Okay. I'm going to assume that the audiobook ends with, with that track. Um, 
audiobooks now, by the way, we'll get back to tweaked audio in a second. Uh, cause you can still, this is still relevant. You can still mm-hmm. use your tweaked audio.com earbuds to listen to audiobooks as you mm-hmm. do, but audiobooks have become a thing where now it's like, it has extra stuff. Do you yes, know what it I mean? does. Yeah. Like, um, like interviews with the, well, the, I think that, with the writer. Per, well, there's a thing. Um, I know you and I are both big fans of Chris Gethard. Mm-hmm. So his new book is a series of stories from his life, which is just what his last one, uh, was but apparently the audiobook after each chapter he interviews someone from his past who is mentioned in the previous story so he has a whole story about he like um made his stage debut in like middle school because he was the understudy for conrad birdie in bye bye birdie okay. um and he was awful and everyone laughed at him and it's kind of how he realized he wanted to get into co- comedy mm-hmm. and he interviews the kid who was cast and then dropped out that he, that, he had, that he replaced but that interview is only on the audiobook it's not in the book um so i want to read chris gethard's book and then yeah. i want to listen to the audiobook <laughs> anyway I'll, and i'll use my tweaktaudio.com earbuds when i do it they're available at a low low price at tweaktaudio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so go to tweaktaudio.com and use the offer code pretension achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking what's your secret Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. This uh, topic was inspired by a couple of things, the main one being our new commentary marathons, which are available now. Mm. Uh, we finished the uh, we did the, the second half of the Harry Potter series, all the David Yates movies. We watched them back to back to back. Um, it took 10 hours. Um, we went insane. Um, but our friends came in uh, and friends of the show came and talked movies and talked all sorts of other things with us. And we had a, uh, oh, we had a whale of a time. Um, and it's available for you to have a whale of a time at battleshipretention.com. It's in the left-hand column. You can get the first four from who did uh um, in the, uh, in the spring and you can get mm-hmm. these new four, uh, um, the individual movies are three, you know, the individual tracks are three bucks a piece, but you want to lump them together and of you course. can get, um, it's 10 bucks for a group of four. So mm-hmm. 10 bucks, will get you the first four, 10 bucks, will get you this new second four, 20 bucks total. And you've got 20, it's a dollar an hour yeah. of, of entertainment. Uh, and it supports the show and it keeps us being able to do stuff. Um, so partially, uh, inspired by that, I wanted to talk about movies based on stuff that we love. Um, this was I, so difficult for me, David. You uh, have no idea. Uh, it actually kind of was for me too, even though because I mean, what I love is movies. Um, yeah, that's why uh, it probably won't be a very long episode because, yeah. like, uh, I'm not like there are way more movies that I have read, or well, sorry, way more books that I have read because I liked the movie. Oh yes, that has happened a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, then there are like, oh hey, they're making a movie. I usually I tend to f- find out about things as movies first, um, and then sometimes that will inspire me. I'll know a movie's coming, and I'll go read the book, and I'll fall in love with it. That's what happened with Cloud Atlas, which I'm sure I'll talk about later. But I want to talk about the other thing 
that got me thinking about this. The night before we'd recorded our Harry Potter commentary, I rewatched, didn't talk about the movie, movie journal. Sorry, everybody. Uh, cause I rewatched for the dozenth time, maybe, uh, Constantine, Francis Lawrence's Constantine from 2005, which is a movie that I love. Mm-hmm. And I also know that a lot of Hellblazer fans just can't get past the fact that John Constantine is a American, be dark haired and see where's, black instead of wearing his olive drab trench coat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and it, uh, on the one hand, it always like when I watch the movie that always frustrates me, it's like, you know, a movie can be a bad adaptation of its source material and still be a good movie. Oh, yeah. Shining is a great example yeah. of that. And that's what Constantine is to me. It's such, it's such an exciting, uh, uh, and, and frankly, darkly beautiful movie. And it has an amazing cast. You got Keanu Reeves, Rachel Weisz, Tilda Swinton, Peter Stormare. Uh, what's his name? Um, Shia LaBeouf. And you've got Gavin Rossdale. You've got Jaiman Huntsu. Um, you've got, uh, no, what's his name? Uh, Pruitt Taylor, Pruitt Taylor Vince is who oh, I was right. trying to think of. Who's fantastic. It's, I love Constantine, but I, uh, and like I said, I always get frustrated with the fact that there are people who never gave it a chance. But then I started to think like, are there movies like what movie could be made that I wouldn't, that I would have a tough time getting, giving it chance to, uh, it seems at this point that snow crash is never going to be made into a movie or TV show. Yeah. It's always in development, in development. It's been snow crash has been in development in some way or yeah. another, as long as I've known what it is. It's one of my favorite novels of all time. Uh, and a part of me is like, a part of me really wants to see it brought to like cinematic or television light, but a part of me is fine with it never being, cause yeah. I'll always have the book and I'll reread it every every few, few years like I do. Um, and so I started thinking about, okay, well what, what is something that I loved? And I tried to, what well, I did. So I started with a list of just stuff I love that they, they've made movies out of, mm-hmm. but then I, that ended up being kind of long. So, I narrowed it down to stuff that I was already a fan of that's before they made the movie. That is what made this difficult for me because like yourself with books, it's usually I'm aware of the movie and then I go and read the book. Um, and then, uh, and that's the thing is looking at this, uh, when I was making the list, I realized a lot of this is stuff that I was a fan of as a kid or as a, okay. a young teenager, because then I, whatever it is, I then switched and got into movies right, and, and that took over. Yeah. That, yeah. That's actually probably true of me too. There are some exceptions, but I've certainly got things on here like where the wild things are. Obviously that's something I sure. love. Um, and I, um, I think, People who think that Spike, people who complain that Spike Jones's "Where the Wild Things Are" was not made for kids, I think have maybe forgotten what it's like to be a kid. I think I think that happens to a lot of adults. I still kind um, of think that, but I stopped thinking it because it's like, well, I'm an adult now, so who gives a shit? <laughs> um, but I mean, a lot a lot of the stuff, and we actually talked about this in the Harry Potter com- Harry Potter commentary the, uh, this past weekend a little bit. Um, a lot of stuff that's made for you as a kid is sad or scary. Yeah. You know, it's it's okay for it to be that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, not every kid's movie is the secret life of pets, you know, it's, some of them are, yeah. uh, it's okay for them to be heavy and kids like that stuff. I think what uh, got that's, me is like, that's something I think is a good adaptation. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is a very good adaptation and it's a movie that I really responded to. Um, I think for me, there's a difference between melancholy and neurotic. And I feel like there are elements of, uh, neurosis, uh, neuroses, pardon me, in where the wild things are that I think kids w- 
won't necessarily understand. But at the same time, uh, it's been a while since I was a kid and I'm me now. So uh, <laughs> I can only go by that. And yeah. I really responded to it. Um, Such a good, good performances all around. But like the vocal performance by James Gandolfini is just yeah. so yeah. perfect. Um, I'll toss it to you in a second, but I wanted to talk about just some general, some ideas here, mm-hmm. which is the idea of being upset that they changed things. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the thing that makes the Hellblazer fans so mad about right. uh, Francis Lawrence and Constantine. Um, and I feel like I don't get that as long as the, as long as the movie's good, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, I don't think this is a very popular movie, but I think the, the, mid 2000s movie version of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is not bad. It's not bad. It changed stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. That doesn't, that's not why it's yeah less successful. I'm okay with it changing stuff. I just feel like it's not as absurd as it could have been. Um, it feels surprisingly straightforward. Huh? Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but a, a, a movie that changed things drastically. And I think, uh, for, way for the worst uh is and i can't remember who directed this now but the movie version of a chorus line uh oh boy okay a chorus line is kind of like i think when i i think like a lot of teenage boys i didn't like musicals Mm -hmm. you know and then when i uh my mom actually took me and my sister to see a chorus. And I don't think my mom really knew what it was about or else mm-hmm. she might not have taken us when we were like 14 and 16 or whatever. Yeah. Um, not that I was too young, but it's weird to be with your mom when there's songs about masturbation and songs about coming out to your parents and songs. Mm-hmm. It's a song called tits and ass and songs you know, about masturbating in front of your parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, um, yeah, that tits and ass has a line that's she says, I'm terrific at a dance. Guys are coming in their pants. Ugh. That's a line in the movie. And I'm sitting next to my mom. And it was so it was, that part was awkward. But I was also I was like, oh, movies like musicals don't have to all be uh, right. Brigadoon, which I now love Brigadoon. But like, yeah. they don't have to be these big, like, you know, melodramatic um, kind of corny or overly uh, poppy. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they certainly don't have to be Andrew Lloyd Webber, which I really still don't like mm-hmm. generally. Um, and I really love a chorus line. And so after seeing it, it played at the, uh, they were performing it at the Muni in St. Louis, which is an amphitheater that does a, a musical theater um, during the summer months. I went and saw it twice that week, that it the one week that it was playing there. And then I rented the movie and I was like, oh, they fucked this up mm-hmm. because part of the whole conceit of a chorus line is the director is an offstage voice. There's mm-hmm. an actor playing the director because you know, it's a, it's all an audition. I don't know if you right. know the story. It's all an audition, um, a long audition. Uh, and so the director is giving, you know, instructions from, you know, he's supposed to be in the audience. They're facing him, you know, in an empty audience or whatever, but he's just an off stage actor and they cast Michael Douglas as the director and then gave him a whole storyline and a whole history with one of the, 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 the women who's auditioning. And I was like, you guys did not understand what this movie was about that, mm-hmm. that this movie is not about the director and his interpersonal bullshit. It's a movie about the kinds of people who end up on Broadway and, 
the sort of juxtaposition of Broadway glamour with the fact that these kids are often like small town weirdos who uh, were practically chased out of their hometowns in some cases for being different. Uh, And it's incredibly uh, moving and filthy and you made it just a stupid, turgid soap opera bullshit. I, I, I hate that movie so much. Um, I've talked too much and I have so many more to get to. What, what what do you have? So, uh, literally the first one I thought of, and I feel almost ashamed of this, uh, is super Mario brothers. (laughs) Um, That's great. Cause I don't have any video games on. Okay. Um, because it's, it's one of the first things that I enjoyed. One of the first things that I was a fan of. I remember, I think it was like 1980, seven or something like that when we got our Nintendo. And so I loved playing super Mario brothers and like many others, uh, when it was announced in the early, I think 93, um, that there was going to be a movie. I was, I was excited and I wasn't exactly sure what, what type of thing it was going to be. Uh, uh, and boy, did I not think it was going to be that. Have you seen it? I've never seen it. Oh, good God. It is. I mean, it's, it's, it is so misguided. It just makes you wonder how on earth did like at any frame, uh-huh. there are like 23 mistakes. <laughs> and I don't mean like continuity errors. I mean, judgment calls that, uh, that were, <laughs> went terribly wrong. Um, and it's just this, but, but you can see in retrospect, I can look back and see what they were trying to do where, you know, Tim Burton's Batman was still that and Batman returns and, and this kind of dark gritty expressionistic, uh, quality, uh, in the midst of things for movies for kids, ostensibly, that was the big, that was a big thing at the time. Mm -hmm. And so they take the normally poppy and, I just said fantastical and fantastical and bright and Uh vibrant, uh, and catchy as far as the music, they take all of that and just throw it out the window and say, all right, we're going to have, uh, you know how you're out amongst the trees and these platforms and mushrooms. Okay. Enough of that shit. You're going to be in a dingy city and it's just going to be really crappy. And you know how you're, you're fighting against the Koopas. Yeah. They're just people now. Um, but they got weird hair, so that's fine. Right. <laughs> and there's going to be a weird, uh, subplot about, uh, about, uh, two different paths of evolution. Uh, one was like monkeys and one was lizards. And so King Koopa was, uh, so he was like wow. this turtle lizard thing, but he t- evolved into a person, but they have this gun where they can devolve you into a monkey or a lizard. It's nuts. I think if you take away the Mario Brothers thing, I'm kind of interested in this. <laughs> sure, of course. Sadly, it's <laughs> called Super Mario Brothers. Uh, there is a there's a, Yoshi is in it. Uh, you can't ride him; he's very small. Uh, and oh, but he is a dinosaur. He is a dinosaur, but he's like that tall, uh, and he looks kind of. Listeners don't know what you just. I'm, did. This is for you. Okay, I don't even care about the listeners anymore. They can go <laughs> fuck off. Um, I'm joking, of course, but uh, I love you so very much. So you were saying about yay big. About yay big. Thank you. Yes, you're right. Since they can't see it, I will describe yay. It's as big as yay. Um, And it's just, 
I do think uh, uh, Bob Hoskins is cast as Mario and he grows his mustache and he does a pretty good like Brooklyn accent and he actually does a pretty good job with it. Dennis Hopper plays uh, King Koopa. Um, do you know the um, the cop who was the the who was the guard there was a cop at my high school I don't know mm. if your high school had a cop but uh, yes had a cop uh, I can't remember his own name was because everyone called him to like he to his face he loved it called him officer Mario because he looked like Mario <laughs> like he was just like kind of squat and had a big bushy mustache and thick like dark brown hair and he could shoot fireballs <laughs> right yeah um he was a he was a really cool guy officer mario that's what we called him <laughs> but i can't remember his real name um but yeah so it's just and uh i've t- i told you that like recently i've been watching youtube videos by this guy named that goes by the gaming historian and it's very interesting his stuff is very well researched his his videos are are interesting and he did a whole video about the history of the super mario brothers movie and it's just and sure enough it's just rewrites and studio interference what fascinates me is that the studio interfered and got it further away from what people wanted um from what they thought the audience wanted so it's just it is a misfire on so many levels it's crazy um okay so well i i like this i think maybe we'll get into more faithful adaptations later because i want to keep talking about stuff that was changed because okay. um uh, i'm liking this uh this this thread um and i i have so many on here i don't know where to where to start uh, i'll do a good one and a bad one okay i think uh oh, one of my favorite short stories um not of all time it's not even my favorite short story by this author but a really good short story is by clive barker it's called the midnight meat train oh yeah and um they made a movie i'm forgetting the um director's name now um I don't japanese recall. i think uh now i'm forgetting his name uh with uh a star is born bradley cooper yeah um in it and noted director uh yeah um and you know this is a the the original midnight meat train short story is like what 25 pages it's very short it, yes. yeah it, it takes place over one train ride a uh, subway train ride um and so they had to make a feature-length movie about it that has like adds this whole extra mythology to it and it's the kind of thing that they could have ruined it and maybe it's um it might have been helped it might have been helped by the fact that clive barker actually had a hand in Mm -hmm. adapting it uh, into a feature but um so it becomes its own story that's its own thing the lead character becomes a investigative journalist and all this stuff that isn't in the short story uh but it still maintains that uh that phantasmagorical clive barker horror Mm -hmm. uh feel uh of of the original um but while I'm on the subject of Clive Barker short stories, I said it's not even my favorite short story by Clive Barker. My favorite short story by Clive Barker is also from the Books of Blood collection. It's called uh, In the Hills, the Cities, and I don't know how they could ever make a movie uh, out of it. But um, I reread it fairly regularly uh, because it's beautiful and also fucking insane. Um, and and you mentioned Snow Crash earlier. Among the among the books that I would like to see made into a movie is one that you introduced me to, and one of the few books that I've read in a single day, which is The Thief of Always. Yeah, that's another uh, which one that I, you hear rumors about uh, yeah. from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hey, heard, they're out there making heard, a cl- house with a clock in its walls. Why can't they make The Thief of Always? Well, you know what I mean. Like, if it winds up being like the house with a clock in its walls, I hope they don't. Um, like, it needs to be just the right 
It needs to be just the right director. I'm trying to think who it might be, but uh, that's for another time. Okay. Um, and then I want to talk about one that I think doesn't do it. I don't think this is a bad movie. I don't think it's a terrible movie on its own. But the movie version of Catch-22 mm. so pales in comparison yeah. to the book. Because it gets it gets a lot of the comedy and it definitely gets the irreverence. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, the thing about Catch-22, the novel, is that it will have you cracking up on one page and then just crushed the next page. And the movie never, never right. gets to any of that, um, that, that heavier, that heavier stuff, you know, where the, the book is repeatedly reminding you like, yeah, it's funny. This guy walks around with like, you know, they call him horse apple. He's got horse apples in his or crab apples in his mouth mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like, that's funny. And there's, uh, you know, the, Oh, the chaplain, isn't he a big, uh, uh, pompous windbag. And then the next, the next scene, someone's bleeding to death. It's like, yeah, yeah this is, there's still a war. And the movie tries that, but that stuff doesn't work. I feel like it stands all the, all the edges off. Um, yeah, I don't think it's as funny as sharply funny mm-hmm. as the book. And I also don't think it's quite as, uh, dramatic and, and harrowing yeah. as the book. I think it's, I think I, I don't think it does either of them. I, I enjoy the movie, but that the book is, I mean, such a work of brilliance that mm-hmm. precisely because it's, it is such a razor sharp tone and I, I, that would be very hard. And, and honestly, just the way the narration is written is yeah. just so wry all the time. It's like, it, it would be hard to translate that into a movie at all. Yeah. Uh, what's next on your list? Okay. Next is, so here's an interesting one of something that according to me at the time, it was a bad adaptation. turns out it was a good one, which is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I was largely familiar with the cartoon. Sure. Yeah. And then you see the movie in 1990 and it is pretty dark. Uh, I mean, it certainly is not the the cartoon. There are no, you know, there's no talking brains or whatever, or Bebop yeah. and Rocksteady or anything. They would save that. That's the second film is where that stuff would yeah. come in. Um, but this one was definitely, uh, I think, informed by the Tim Burton Batman, like this dark, okay. gross version of New York. Um, but uh, I still enjoyed it. But I definitely was like, oh, this isn't like the cartoon at all. And then my brother, having an older brother makes a big difference. He showed me the original comic book. And he said, this is what it is clearly based on. And and so then I realized, oh, no, this is a good adaptation of the comic book and a bad adaptation of the cartoon. Um, And then the second film came along and it's just a bad everything. Yeah. Um, I feel like that first movie is still good, right? It is good. Okay, I haven't watched it in a long time. But yeah, I think it, I think it actually is. Yeah. There's some real character development. There's real relationship stuff. Um, it's, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, anything else? Uh, okay. Well, I've been, I've been dominating. Okay. Well, if we're talking about, um, if we're talking about adaptation, which I guess most of these will be for me, um, you know, I'm going to be repeating myself, but I haven't said it in a while. Um, sometimes the worst thing you can do for a movie is have it be a really good adaptation. I think I know where you're going. Watchmen. Uh, oh yeah. I thought you were going to go with 300, but yeah, same, same, same thing, same thing. Uh, Cause I've never read 300. Well, Watchmen is on my list. As okay. one, of the, one of the bad ones. Well, and that's the thing is like, f- officially 
it's a real it's it's a pretty spot on adaptation but it do, that doesn't mean that it's you can't jump medium mediums media like that media, yeah uh and expect it to have the same type of impact it will still have an impact like some stuff if you if you try to uh adapt rorschach faithfully that the power will still come through i'd say the same with the comedian um but from a structure standpoint like it just it it, there's there's such an, an odd ebb and flow but not in a way that that makes a lot of sense especially for a, a two it's like what two and a half hours that movie i think it's even longer, maybe even longer but like two hours 40 minutes. so three hours let's say let's round up and say three hours three hours is a long time but it really isn't that long when you're considering the material and so to adapt this thing into a three-hour movie like i hate to say it, but we like the audience has an expectation either just naturally or because of movies we've seen before we have natural uh unconscious expectations of like a film's rhythm and it just doesn't have that and so that's that's and with 300 that's another one where it's a straightforward adaptation but it's like well you the the reader reading this type of shouting on the page (laughs) well we can modulate that (laughs) but if you just have Gerard Butler just screaming at the top of his lungs like, oh boy. Not that I ever thought it was going to be a subtle thing, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it becomes comical and not, not in the way that a comic book is meant to be. Um, and so it's, uh, but yeah, but that's the thing is Watchmen, in some ways it's very faithful and I think that's a mistake, but then in the ways it isn't faithful, I think that's a mistake. Like the way that it has the characters' costumes and uh, it's Watchmen was always meant to be what happened if superheroes existed in the real world world. And some of the costumes, they're just cloth and they just look kind of cheesy, but mm-hmm. that's what it is. Whereas he made it look like they're wearing armor and that yeah. sort of thing. And it just like, it Throwing just each other through coffee tables, uh, right? Not coffee to like kitchen islands. Like yeah. they didn't, they're not, they're not made of, they're not right. from Krypton. <laughs> right. Like they might be very strong. Yeah. But they're human strong. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, and it's just, there are so many bad choices on that. I think, I think casting is not one of them. I think there's a lot of good casting choices there, but I think there's only so much that they can do when Zack Snyder it just, you know, by all accounts, he's a very nice guy. He was nice to me for the five seconds that I talked to him once. Um, <laughs> And, and he's not, he definitely has talent as a filmmaker, but I just feel like so many of his instincts are just wrong. That's what I've said about Watchmen is that it's the, the problem is that it's misguided from the jump. And then from that point on, it's, it's consistent. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, it's like he hit a hard line drive, except it was foul from the moment it left the bat. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like, wow, look how far that foul ball went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, I said I'd get back to Cloud Atlas. I'll talk about it now. Because here's one that I was like, oh, they're going to fuck it up. Even though I like the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I, I, I think sometimes you become so wed to the source material that you can't imagine it any other way. And do you know you haven't read Cloud Atlas, no. the novel, right? So do you know about the structure of the novel? You have told me about the structure, but now I don't remember. So I was like, 
it's not going to be the same movie if they don't stick to the structure. The idea of the, the, the way that the things unfold in the novel cloud Atlas is you've got six stories, which you have six stories in the movie too. But the way it goes is you get the first half of each story in chronological order. And the second half of each story in reverse chronological order. Hmm. So the story furthest in the future is told all at once. Yeah. But the earliest story, which is like the, on the, on the slave ship, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, you get the first half and then you get everything else. And then you finally at the very end, get the second half of, uh, of so it's like story. a, it's like a planet, uh, a planet. Like if you look at those, like the diagrams or whatever of like the earth cut open, sure. Yes. Yeah. There, there's like the that. core and then it goes out further and further. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess that is kind of what it's like. Um, uh, and I remember when, um, our friend, Patrick, who was the first, who was the first one to tell me that Cloud Atlas was a great novel and that I should read it, uh, when he was like, "Yeah, they're not doing that for the movie," I was like, "What? Are, what are they doing? That's yeah, that's the whole point." And yet, now I I still love the movie, mm-hmm. uh, so obviously I cut it some slack. Um, you know who's you know I mean, we mentioned The Shining earlier. Uh, I put a number of Stephen King movies on here and didn't kind of realize until I had the whole list that uh, I mean, I guess it's cliche to say, Oh, the book's better. I don't know that that's true as often as uh, right. people say, I think there are a lot of movies that are better than the books. Oh yeah. I would say, uh, American psycho uh, is, is one, um, Jaws. Top I, of my head. Jaws is I never read Jaws. Um, uh, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of Stephen King adaptations that are either outright bad, mm-hmm. like Firestarter, Sure. Or are just not as good as, as as the movie like even or as the book like i mean even last year's it i thought was uh decent mm-hmm. um better than i expected it to be when i went in but it's nothing compared to the book yeah do you know what i mean um well i, would not, say, I mean was, we'll just have to wait i guess for yeah, chapter maybe it'll, two and yeah it'll fill in all that stuff with the space turtle and stuff um yeah exactly uh the green mile is another one that mm-hmm. uh even though i don't think that's his best um novel either um i i feel like frank darabont made a good movie <laughs> i don't know i never saw the mist that was him right you didn't see the mist no it's pretty good uh okay i, that, I really like that story too and um, i do think that uh, he directed the first episode of walking dead and he makes oh, some very very yeah. good decisions all right there. maybe i don't know maybe i just he made shawshank redemption um he made the majestic yeah i never yeah uh Oof. what else the needful things movie is terrible um, with surprisingly good casting, though. Uh, like yeah, and I yeah. do think, and I do think that Max von uh, Sydow does a good job. Um, but I think off the top of my head, the two best. Well, we talked about The Shining being a good movie that's a bad adaptation, right? I think off the top of my head, maybe the best Stephen King adaptation is The Dead Zone. Maybe Misery is pretty good. Oh, Misery! I should have put Misery on here. I didn't think about that. Yeah, Misery might be better. But yeah, I rewatched Misery. We watched both of those actually fairly recently. Yeah, Misery is probably better than The Dead Zone, and both are good adaptations as mm-hmm. well. Uh, yeah, so it can be done. Uh, it just seems like most Stephen well, and King then, isn't. And a lot of his books have been well, maybe not a lot, but several notable books have been adapted into miniseries. Well, including so, The Shining. Including uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, uh, The um, Stand. The Stand, but I haven't read any of those. I've read oh, Precious really? Little Stephen King. Oh man, I went. I, I really went through a uh, a uh, a phase there. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the, how many of his short stories have been made. I mean, The Mist is more of a novella than a short. It's like mm-hmm. somewhere between. It's like 
it's like 115 pages or something. Yeah. Um, kind of a good movie treatment <laughs> length, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think what other short stories. I'm probably missing uh, a big one. I mean, there's The Body, right? Uh, yeah, but that's also a novella. Same right. as Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were trying to think of like shorter things. No, I'm trying to think of his actual short, because I, I love his short stories. I know okay. they did that. Um, TNT did that miniseries um, called Nightmares and Dreamscapes, yes, where they adapted right. yeah. 10 of the different short stories from Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which was yeah. uh, really cool. Um, I didn't actually watch all of it. I watched the one with William Hurt, um, uh, which is just classic Stephen King, just kind of coming up with a, an idea that seems dumb and then committing to it to the point where it's actually scary, yeah. which is it's William Hurt being attacked by like little green army men toys who come to life and actually like wage war on him. Hmm. <laughs> he also did. There's also one, um, uh, a short story about, um, those little like wind up chattering teeth that come mm-hmm. to life and like attack people. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he commits to, it. I love it. Uh, yeah, but there's not that many great Stephen King movies. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost running out of books. Cause I have other things. Okay. Uh, things that came, things that were, uh, well, I'll throw to you and then we'll get back to me. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm fine to just kind of go through a bunch of these, yeah, let's uh, do these books. Um, once again, something that I grew up reading, which is uh, the Phantom Toll Booth, which is a great book that I really, really like. Um, and so I read the book first, and then they had turned it into a movie in the seventies, but I didn't see that until after I read the book. And uh, it was mostly animated um, uh, by Chuck Jones. And so there, there's some good stuff in there. I remember thinking they did a, an okay job, but. It being an animated film in the 70s, uh, they felt the need to bring some songs into it, and that didn't really fit with what I was mm-hmm. thinking of in regards to the book. Um, and and I think, honestly, just... Anytime there's a, a story where, you know, a kid goes to this to a new place, it could be Alice in Wonderland, it could be The Thief of Always, it could be Phantom Tollbooth, whatever it is, um, there's always a certain type of chaos to the new place um, because it just operates on a completely different type of logic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best versions of this type of thing are when they s- kind of steer into the chaos. Um, I, I feel like Disney's Alice in Wonderland, which is, is fairly safe. Even it has moments where it's like, fuck man, like this, when she's walking around in the woods and every single thing is just a completely nonsensical creature. Hmm. Um, I've never seen it. Really? The Disney Alice in Wonderland. No, I saw the mini series with uh, Martin short and uh, everybody else. George went, I, everybody else was in that. Yeah. It's, and then of course I've seen, uh, Alice, the, um, Jan Spangmeier. Uh, Jan Spangmeier. Well, okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a fun adaptation too. Um, you, you would, I think you would like it a lot. It's uh, some really great voice work and like Sterling Holloway as uh, the Cheshire cat just does some really great stuff as does Ed Wynn as, uh, Mad Hatter. But, um, but yeah, I feel like Phantom told booth because they were making it just like fully animated and I, and they, I think they made it not the, not that the book is like a dangerous, creepy book. It's not that kind of thing, but I think the, the movie does make it feel much more safe and delightful and that sort of thing. So, um, I read 
the uh, Dashiell Hammett book, The Glass Key, uh, which was made into a movie in like the 1940s. Okay. Uh, I read the book first and uh, the, the movie is, is pretty close except for the ending. Um, uh, it's, it's a, uh, I was about to say it's a fine ending. It really isn't. It's Dashiell Hammett with the exception of the thin man, like his endings are usually pretty dark where even when the hero quote unquote wins, Mm -hmm. uh, there's still kind of a, a, a sad moment. And, and, uh, the ending of the glass key, the book is very, very similar in tone and character development to Miller's crossing. Um, Miller's crossing was definitely, was very much influenced by both red harvest and glass key. Um, and it just, and it's just the way it describes it, where I believe the last line of the book is that the main character is just like sitting on his bed and just, and is just staring at the wall Mm -hmm. because like someone leaves and he just doesn't go after her. And so he's just, staring and then that's the end it's a very sad Mm -hmm. uh ending and then the movie is just like oh let's get you two kids together and (laughs) that kind of thing and it's oh boy it's uh no thank you um and then i also when i was younger i read peter benchley's beast uh which is a giant squid book okay um and then they made that into a mini series on nbc then he also wrote one called white shark which they made into another NBC like miniseries. Wow. Um, William Peterson is in oh. The Beast, uh, as is uh, Charles Mar- Martin Smith and a few others. Um, and then Craig T. Nelson is in uh, The Creature, which is what White Shark uh, became. Um, and what's fascinating is that uh, Peter Benchley, I mean, he's telling the story. It, the the structure of his giant squid book, uh, beast it's, it's very jaws esque, you know, a small town terrorized by this thing. Um, that's the structure, but as far as the, the specific characters and the character interactions and stuff, it's a, it's very different. And uh, the, the mini series, it's, it was a two part mini series and they just said like, all right, enough of this being different than jaws thing. <laughs> all right. That's out. <laughs> Uh, we were having this fucking squid jump up on the boat and start to sink it. We're doing the whole thing. Um, and, uh, it's just, uh, ridiculous. It's just awful. Um, that reminds me of something I wanted to talk about. Um, well, it reminds me in the opposite way, uh, of, um, it, when it comes to book adaptations, sometimes there'll be things in the movie that, only people who have read the book like know the background. Of, sure, you know, like I, I should have mentioned with The Shining, there's the guy in the dog costume. Yeah, you know, that's that's in the book. Like, there's more of an explanation of who that is in the book. And then I also remembered uh, the Virgin Suicides, mm. which uh, near the end when you you see like the rich people party or whatever, uh, and people were, like wearing gas masks. Do you remember that the shot? It's like yes, it's like after everything's happened and they're sort of like panning across the party while Giovanni BC is narrating, and it's yeah. just like people wearing gas masks. It's yeah, not I explained. I don't think I understood. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no, there's nothing in the movie to explain it. It's a whole thing uh, in the book about how like the um, the algae on the lakes like died over the summer, and the whole like neighborhood smelled like rotting hmm. algae or whatever, and so it was like a joke, like. 
for the uh, these rich assholes to show up and they did it as it like showed up in gas masks as a joke about the whole yeah. neighborhood smelling like rotting algae um and uh i love that there's no mention of it yeah. <laughs> there's just guys in gas masks but masks for some reason um i like that kind of stuff and i sometimes i wonder uh what i'm missing i remember seeing sure uh speaking of constantine when i was at the at comic-con a few years ago and they showed, showed the first episode of the recent um constantine tv show that got canceled except now that actor is still playing constantine on legend of tomorrow i think or something oh, really something okay. like that um anyway um and there were parts in the like like i said i'm not a big i don't know hellblazer very well so there are parts at the comic-con audience there are parts of the pilot and people like i would people around me would be like oh, 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 oh. i'd be like what <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i have no idea what just happened yeah when i saw warcraft uh-huh. uh for the to review um everyone's there would be like moments where like the camera is just kind of like panning uh-huh. and then and, and it's just like it's just a wide shot you uh-huh. know but then you'd hear like three people ask back oh and like, <laughs> okay i guess i just saw something <laughs> um all right do you have any more books um i have a comic book Okay, we already talked about Watchmen, so that was my okay. comic book. What do you have? Uh, X-Men. Um, okay. Which is, uh, I mean, I wasn't much of a comic book kid except X-Men. I read X-Men all the time. I really, really liked it. Um, and, you know, my friends and I would, would like, cast the, the, the X-Men movie if there was going to be one. And, uh, and then when... Fox finally announced that they were going to make an X-Men movie in, uh, in 2000. I was really excited about it. Um, it had been a while since I had read X-Men comics, but I watched the cartoon. It was a big part of my life. And so I went to see it and, and I was mostly, uh, happy with it. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I'm sure that there are some like heavy, just like some aficionados who have like major problems with, you know, the change of costume yeah, the and joke about, I mean, even yeah. joking about yellow spandex. Yeah. Um, and just the, and the lack of development between like Wolverine and Sabretooth and that kind of thing. I'm sure there are people that were bothered by that, but I think at the time, I mean, I was 18, so I wasn't necessarily young, but 18 is pretty young. Um, and I think I was just excited to see th- these characters because it wasn't an adaptation of any particular story. It was just the concept of X-Men. And I think I was just so excited to see these characters on screen. Uh, and I think it helped that they cast a, a, a no-name, essentially, as Wolverine. Um, I think that mm-hmm. it, because then you just accept him as Wolverine as opposed to it's like, I don't think that actor works really well. Um, and so I think it, it worked really well for me. I th- in retrospect, when I watch the movie, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, X Men Two is great, um, but yeah, but the first one at the time it was it was a big deal for me, and it and it did the job, even though I'm not sure how great of a of an adaptation it was. Um, that what's one of my favorite Hollywood lore stories is that in a roundabout way we have Stanley Kubrick to thank for Hugh Jackman's career because Dugray Scott mm-hmm. was cast as wolverine yeah he was currently playing the bad guy in mission impossible 2 right the shooting of which was delayed repeatedly because tom cruise was still making eyes wide shut oh okay. and so Dugray scott was not able to wrap 
Mission Impossible 2 in time to do X-Men, and so they had to recast the role, as, and they <laughs> recast him with Hugh Jackman. So because of Stanley Kubrick's, uh, his fastidiousness, um, Hugh, Hugh Jackman has a Hollywood career. <laughs> And well, Scott doesn't. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> although honestly, it's I, I don't think that Dugray Scott is necessarily a bad actor. Oh no, but, I don't think so at all. But I'm I not also saying he dodges a bullet. I mean, he might have been great, uh, right? You know I I mean? But I don't think he actually. I'm sure he probably would have done a fine job, but I don't think he would have had the career that Hugh Jackman has gone on to have. Um, okay. All right. I want to. Uh, we're getting near the end of my list. I want to mention something. I'm not going to tell you what it is because okay. I want you to try to guess. Oh boy. This is actually technically a cheat because I had actually seen the first movie before I experienced the, uh, before I was familiar with the source material. So this is a movie that is not based on a book or a comic book or a TV show, but it's based on a thing that you and I both love. You probably even more than I do. Hmm. And there's a, it's a series of movies based on a thing that we both adore. Gosh. A, a whole series. Yeah. And you and I both saw the first movie, I think before we w- would have experienced, I, I could be wrong about you. I'm not sure. Oh boy. I think about it. Actually, I probably am. You probably had experienced this thing first. Think of unconventional, uh, source material for a movie. Uh, I'm not going to get it. All right. The pirates of the Caribbean. Series oh, shit. Okay. About. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's a cheat because I had not yet been on the ride. You probably had actually grown oh, up yes. in California. Oh yes. I, I forgot that you, uh, were in California as a little kid. So you probably had, uh, I, I, I never experienced pirates of the Caribbean without the fake Jack Sparrows, right. uh, in it. Um, but I have come to adore it on, on its own. Um, but it's also, over the course of the trilogy, which is how I'm going to refer to Pirates of the Caribbean, sure. I know there's a fourth and fifth one. They even they, both the fourth and fifth one have sequences that are that recommend them. But I think of Pirates of the Caribbean as a very good trilogy, mm-hmm. um, which became something that is clearly rooted in that sort of, um, I, I guess, I don't know how to say it because there's the supernatural is only very much hinted, uh, very slightly hinted at in the ride. Although the, the additions they've made have made the right. supernatural, made it more supernatural, but it's really just the idea that you set off from a swamp in new Orleans. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're suddenly in the care the, there's something transportive, obviously about the, the yeah. ride that hints at something supernatural, but there's not really, Monsters, the skeletons don't come to life no. uh, on the ride, um, and so they they took Ugh. this thing that very much feels a part of the ride. I just want to, I just want to ride it now. Uh, so it's, been, it's been so long, and I want to rewatch the three Gore Verbinski movies because they're uh, they're so great. Um, uh, and I'll fight you people for that because I know people don't like the second and third ones. They're so good. Um, from a plotting standpoint, I think the third one is a mess, but as far as, as far as sequences, like it's so batshit crazy in so many ways. And it's the plotting is actually the plotting being a mess is actually part of what I love about that series is that it takes this German. I mean, the parts of the Caribbean is actually a pretty short ride. It's one of the fastest moving lines, if not the fastest moving line at Disneyland. Yeah. Um, part of that is because they can fit 20 people on a boat at once yeah. and they send boats every 30 seconds. So it, yeah. go, it goes pretty quickly. Um, and they, and then 
Gorbinsky and, and the writers made this incredibly deep and expansive and immersive mythology, some of which doesn't make any sense and it doesn't matter. It feels like uh, it feels like an entirely imagined world and it, and it, and it feels like the idea that, uh, I mean, it feels like it doesn't just take place in the past, but in an alternate reality mm-hmm. somewhere. And, and, um, uh, I, I, I find those movies, uh, addictive and I, 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 it's weird. I kind of wish there were more of a fandom, I guess. I'm sure there is if I, you know, search Tumblr long enough, but I wish there was more of a, Pirates of the Caribbean movie fandom because there's so much to explore. There's so much. It has that feel of like a Star Wars world or like a lost type of world yeah. where like that one character who's in a couple scenes like could be their own right. thing. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and so that's a great example of taking unconventional source material that doesn't give you a ton to work with and then making that uh, that turning that into a seed that blooms a, uh, a, an enormous thing that's all all its own. Mm-hmm. I love those movies. All right. Okay. Um, let's talk about TV shows, though. Okay. Okay. Um, I only have a couple on here because there are only a couple of TV shows that I was truly a fan of that they made movies out of. And I guess I'm kind of cheating because this isn't these these movies aren't adaptations so much as they are continuations of the story. Or sure, there's Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, mm-hmm. which um, is a prequel to a TV series um, that sort of took everything that was a little bit weird about Twin Peaks right. and exploded it, <laughs> um, and a little bit adult about Twin Peaks, sure. and then just goes yeah. right for it. Uh, and then you've got um, Joss Whedon's Serenity which is really just a continuation. It's just wrapping up mm-hmm. what he didn't get to wrap up on, on Firefly. Um, and I think, uh, doing that, doing that very well. Do you like Serenity? I forget. Yeah, I like it, but you haven't watched the series. I've watched several episodes of okay. the series, but not all of it. Okay. Um, and then the final TV show I wanted to talk about because it is its own thing is brain candy. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. which is, is a movie that t- like it, 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 in a way, obviously, kids in the hall was a sketch show. So it didn't have a through line to continue, Mm -hmm. but in a way it kind of did continue the evolution of the show from, you know, the early kids in the hall. Uh, it's all, it's funny all the way through, but the early ones they were doing just televised versions of the sketches they were already doing in their live sketch show. Right. And as the series went on over its five seasons, it became more and more filmic. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of that is down to, the the woman who directed Brain Candy, uh, who also directed a lot of their sketches, her name is Kelly Macon. Um, her, you know, she become she became more and more a part of the troupe in a way. Mm-hmm. And Brain Candy is not only incredibly absurdly funny, but it's a fully realized visual film. You yeah. know, it uh, it has all court, all sorts of set pieces, fantastical set pieces, and then some that are fantastically depressing. Uh, and, and but the, the visual oh, yeah. sense of them is, did you see, did you see doctor and me? Did you see? <laughs> uh, no, but the, I mean the sad, one of the funniest parts of the movie, one of the saddest things I've ever seen in the movie is the, older oh, woman the, the christmas ha- oh, her yeah. happiest memory is her her gets, son showing up with his kids for christmas for she, literally 40 like 40 seconds and then he gives her a present and it's just a harmonica yeah yeah and that's her happiest memory <laughs> that is very sad. one of the saddest things yeah. i've ever seen in my life yeah. um 
and then you've got like and the, the fact that like they play almost all of the characters yeah yeah you know except yeah. for uh brendan fraser uh, that's right um uh and you've got a pre-austin powers uh lorne michaels oh yeah mark mckinney doing lorne michaels before oh, yeah. mike myers did lorne michaels <laughs> as dr evil when he's like uh are we ever going to get the big table in here? Do I have to go down and cut, go out and cut down that fucking tree myself? Uh, my empire is crumbling. <laughs> Can I have the room please? And just, yeah. Uh, I need to watch that again. That's man. That's such a great movie. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, I've reached pretty much the end of my list. Okay. I think, well, I've got one more. Okay, great. Worked out. And it is, uh, oh, I did leave one off. Well, you go right ahead. Oh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't even something that I love. It's just sort of like, sometimes there's an adaptation that's so faithful. You're like, yeah, it did. Like, it's not terrible. Yeah. It's not. Uh, and so, uh, Gary Sinise directed and starred in of mice and men. Oh yeah. Like this guy clearly loves John Steinbeck. He made a, he made a movie of the John Steinbeck novel and that's what that is. It's, it's very well acted is perfectly good. I don't know if you've Mission. seen it. Uh, yes, I have. I yeah, saw it in school. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. That's why they show it in school because it it yeah. may be one of the few because Up Mice and Men is a short novel. It's one of the few movies where you really could get away with just watching the movie yeah. and writing a book it's report. Like, on would it. you like to see a movie with no editorial decisions? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's not. It's not like three hundred. It's right. not a stupid choice. It's not. It's not a bad movie at all. It's yeah. just. It's a perfectly serviceable adaptation of the of the film. Um, no. As, as far as TV shows, uh, I didn't see the movie Get Smart. Neither did I. But I love that TV show. Yeah. And so maybe that's why I did not see the movie. But I heard the movie was actually uh, kind of okay. Where did that... <laughs> wait, didn't that just come up recently, Get Smart? Probably. Um, oh, yeah. Some, yes. In the Ministry of Magic. Again, going, oh, yes, yes. going back to our Harry Potter right. commentary. Uh, and someone pointed out that the Get Smart movie is like a decade old now, which seems strange. Yeah, I guess that's about right. Back when, back before Steve Carell was in like serious stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess he'd been Little Miss Sunshine by then. Uh, that's serious. Okay. So last for me is a character. It is, of course, the Riddler. Oh. Um who I, like I said, I, I was a, to the degree that I was a comic book person who was mostly X-Men, but I did watch the Adam West Batman. I did read the occasional comic books and I really liked the character of the Riddler. I watched Batman, the animated series and really liked the Riddler. So then when I, so then in 95 with Batman forever, uh, it's like, uh, first off I was, I'm on record by which I mean on Facebook for several years saying that, the Batman forever poster was so evocative and so exciting to me. Uh-huh. And I'm not, the, I'm not, not talking about the poster with like all the characters on it. No, you're I mean the that. one of like, because everyone knew exactly what it meant. It's there's the bad signal and there's a big green question mark around it. Like, and no one knew you know, this was, it wasn't necessarily pre-internet, but people didn't immediately jump to that. And so, you know, I was 13 I didn't know who was going to play the Riddler. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who was going to play Batman. I didn't know who was di- going to direct. The concept of directing was not a thing I was aware of. Um, all I saw was that image, and I was really excited one way or another because uh, it it meant that this character uh, was going to be portrayed on screen. And and then 
what we got. I don't love Batman forever as a movie, but I do think the casting of Jim Carrey is right on depending on what Riddler you're going for. If mm-hmm. you're going for the Batman, the animated series Riddler, uh, thumbs down that didn't work, but it's Frank Gorshin. He's absolutely doing the crazy Frank Gorshin, uh, giggling, laughing mm-hmm. Riddler from the 66, uh, series. Um, and so, uh, so I really, I have an appreciation for what, uh, Jim Carrey is doing now and I enjoyed it at the time. Uh, and then, uh, what are you looking for? Uh, I was looking at different Riddlers cause I wanted to get your opinion on facial hair Riddler. <laughs> um, oh, uh, you, what do you mean? Like, I just—I feel like in the uh, Scott Snyder run of the comics, he's got like, oh, he's got like, uh, he's got like these long sideburns, almost that, like mutton chop. Yeah, he's yeah, right there. That's the what one I was there, for, the yeah. Greg, Greg Capullo um, version of the figure. Yeah, yeah whatever, yeah. it's fine. You know, whatever uh, differentiates him. Okay, and he's a redheaded character, and so that's a way of like accentuating that. Right. Um, where the issue comes in is not in a movie; it's in the show Gotham where I watched, I believe, two seasons of it, and then they decided uh, around the end of season one, early season two, they decided that, okay, it's time to develop the Edward Nigma character and really start showing off his dark side, and they decide to give him a split personality. Uh. In And by the way, Harvey Dent is a character by then. He's there. But they decide to go split personality for the Riddler. And I think it's because they didn't know how to change him, Uh you know, and it can be tough because the character in the movie, uh, in the TV show is a cop. He's like part of the, like the CSI team. Um, And so it's like, all right, so he's literally, he doesn't have an ounce of evil in him. He, but there's a darkness in him. And so like, and I just and even over even though you have multiple episodes, maybe even an entire season to sh- slowly change this character, um, Gotham is not the most nuanced TV mm-hmm. show. And I think they realize like, all right, we don't know how to do this. So, you know, what? split personality problem solved. And it just and the thing is, like, you know, people are going to interpret the character differently. That's fine. But the problem is there's already a character that is known for a split personality. Yeah. And so, so I stopped watching before I saw what they did with two face. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's just like, okay, how many people are going to have split personality? Yeah, there ends up being a support group <laughs> 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 or just, you know, Riddler says to Harvey Dent, like, Oh, I have a split personality and Harvey Dent's like, oh, that's a neat idea. <laughs> uh, I don't know what your ideal Riddler personified like, uh, I tend to like the, the, the animated series one. I like the gentleman Riddler with the suit. Um, right. Okay. Partially because just when you get like, I mean, when you had Caesar, Caesar Romero and Frank Gorshin in the same scene, there's really not that much to differentiate them. Uh-huh. I, I love what Frank Gorshin is doing and he actually makes the character a little bit more manic than the Joker, but we already have the character that's like laughing and over the top and all that. And so I, I like that, we we have a Riddler that can be a bit more, uh, a bit more like intellectual and that sort of thing. Although I do really like the Riddler from the, uh, the Arkham games. Oh, okay. Um, not that I've 
played them, but I've watched, there's a name for it and I don't remember, but I've watched other people play them and the Riddler's voiced really well and animated really well and they give him really good stuff to do. And I like that a lot. Um, if you're ever interested, I, I would lend you the um, Scott Snyder trade paperback, the one that Greg Capullo design is from. I, uh, I think I have... I have Riddler number one of part of like the new 52 or whatever. Oh, I but just I, meant the, the Batman. Oh, um, that. Okay. The new 52 Batman. Uh, cause he's, um, I would say he's mostly defined by uh, being really, uh, insecure about people not appreciating how smart he is. Well, that's the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, like his, I mean, he takes over the city. Yeah. He's like in the Scott Snyder version, the, we, we start, Batman's already Batman, but they do a whole long run. That's like sort of an origin. And Riddler is actually the first major villain he ever hmm. fights in that one. And he actually does take over Gotham at one point and his whole, it, he doesn't like do anything with it except show off that he's smarter yeah. than everyone. Well, that's the whole thing I wrote. I, uh, years ago I wrote an article for BP listeners can go and find it, um, about the Riddler and what one of the things that a, appeals to me and it's something that like you know joker is all about showmanship but i think riddler has that as well it's this idea of like i need you to know how capable i am but the only way for me to do that is to give you the key uh, give you the power to catch me right. because if you don't that means uh, clearly I'm, I'm brilliant, you know, and I feel like anybody who does what we do or anybody who puts themselves out there publicly for not that you and I are doing this for validation, but there's always that element to it. I think one um, can always hope one of these that, days. Oh boy. <laughs> Come on. You're part of uh, you're part of two different uh, organizations. I know it's nice. Yeah. So, and I, and uh, Hey, I got my uh, master's degree. Uh, oh, yeah. So I guess we're, we're pretty valid. Huh? We do. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the thing is so, uh, but anytime you put yourself out there and say, Hey, please tell me I'm good there's always the possibility that the person's going to be like, mm, you're not. And that's the, that's the, you know, I think Riddler is a very insecure character, but I think he's also very prideful. But in the end, it's just like, he is just a, a genuine, a, a genius who probably has a, uh, deals with imposter syndrome a bit. Mm. And so I, you know, I'll, some people say the idea that, um, like well, he's so stupid. He leaves riddles. He's going to get caught. It's like, yeah, he's fucking crazy. <laughs> That's the whole thing. They're all crazy except penguin. And he's not super, uh, there either, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, I want to keep talking about comics, but, um, we should probably do that off mic. Sure. Uh, this was fun. Um, you can find us at battleship retention.com. You, uh, that's where you can find my, review of cloud atlas if you want to go all the way back oh, wow. um uh you can email us at david at battleship or tyler at battleship you can follow me david on twitter at davy pretension you can follow tyler on twitter at tyler pretension tyler what's going on in your other podcast more than one lesson sadly at the moment nothing this week um i just had too much stuff going on to record an episode but um there are always reviews there uh you know if you're in the in the halloween mood you can go and check out uh the fear of god this week they talk about the original evil dead uh so you can check that out and uh yeah and there and there there are old halloween times episodes as well all right well um thanks for listening we'll get you next time bye bye 
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.